You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. In today's episode, Brandon and I are going to discuss when self-directed IRAs make sense for real estate investors. In other words, when does actually investing in real estate through your self-directed IRA make sense? That's going to be the topic of today because we all know that self-directed IRAs are a hot topic. So we're going to dive into that. But before we do, we're going to take a quick word from Landlord Studio. If you're a do-it-yourself landlord managing rental properties, Landlord Studio is made for you. The software helps landlords simplify income and expense tracking. With their easy-to-use app, you can digitize receipts, record income and expenses in real time, generate reports, and even manage leases and tenants. Plus, Landlord Studio makes late rental payments and bank visits a problem of the past with secure online rent collection. Get the rent paid directly to your bank account, and you can even automate rent reminder emails and late payment fees. Landlord Studio is also the best way to stay tax compliant. They offer a range of financial reports, including Schedule E and supplier expense reports designed for tax time. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com CPA and use the coupon code realestatecpa at checkout to get 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com CPA and use the code realestatecpa to get 25% off your plan today. All right. So for anybody who's not familiar with a self-directed IRA, let me give you a quick overview, right? So A self-directed IRA, first and foremost, is not that much different from a regular IRA. The main difference is the custodian that holds your IRA or sets up the IRA, whichever way you want to look at it, allows you to invest in alternative investments and not just traditional assets. And by traditional assets, I mean stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and other things you find traded on the public markets. If you go open up a IRA with a Vanguard or Schwab or TD Ameritrade or any of the big brokerage houses they're pretty much going to restrict you to investing in financial assets. So you will not be able to invest in real estate or other businesses and precious metals, like I mean, gold bullion, things like that, directly through the IRA. And that's where self-directed IRA comes in. Self-directed IRA allows you to invest in these alternative assets, such as real estate, other businesses, notes, and it, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But today, you know, we're, this is the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor Podcast, so we're going to be focused on the real estate aspect of it. And there's some times when making when investing through a self-directed IRA does make sense. And there's some times that it won't. And even when it does make sense, there's some things you're going to want to be aware of. So that's what we're going to dive into today. And remind me, or correct me if I'm wrong, but self-directed IRAs were actually under some potential threats last year, right? With the legislation changes, I think. I think it was you couldn't hold real assets. There's there some rule basically that you couldn't hold syndications the, if the legislation had passed, you couldn't hold syndications in a self-directed IRA. Wasn't that right? Okay. It didn't pass, but that was what was being proposed. Did, did I get that right? Yeah, there was something in there. I, I vaguely remember there was something in there that would have prevented you from holding those assets. And you would have had to remove it within two years. Yeah, that's what it was. You would have to remove the assets if they were, I think if they were syndicated within two years from the IRA, otherwise you're going to face some type of penalty. I forgot the exact penalty. That was proposed, but it never actually came to fruition but I guess that's something you do have to watch out for self-directed IRAs too, is that 
you're subject to the whims of Congress and what type of bills they might pass. Right, right. And so you just have to be careful if you're if you're using like retirement accounts in a way or really any account in a way that wasn't initially prescribed or originally in Congress's intent, you just got to be careful because they could always pull the rug out and leave you holding the bag. Right. Uh, and that's what was in, I, I believe it was in the big Biden tax plan that ended up falling apart, but they, they had like changed it and modified it and stuff where it ended up not yeah. being in. So it, was, it all ended up okay. Yeah, it was in the initial proposal. And then there was a lot of pushback. There was actually a lot of uh, group. Now I remember this. There was actually a lot of syndication groups that were writing the Congress saying how devastating this was going to be for certain types of investment businesses, mainly those who raise capital from self-directed IRAs. And then it didn't come through on the next iteration. So it was in the very initial proposal, like kind of that proposal where they throw things against the wall and see what sticks. And uh, that one just did not stick, fortunately. And do you know anything about the recent tax court case? It was McNulty, first commissioner, about checkbook IRAs? Yeah. So what ended up happening was in that specific case, the taxpayer held custody of the gold bullion themselves. So in other words, they had a checkbook IRA and they had basically, they had their gold bullion in like a safe, for example, in their back room or something. When you're dealing with a checkbook IRA, you cannot hold custody of the assets, right? So by them holding custody, that's what ultimately came under attack. Like they had a third party hold custody, then they would have been fine is I think if I recall correctly, what the outcome of that case was. Yeah. So when you have a checkbook IRA, you got to make sure that you're really not almost self-dealing. I mean, self-dealing you should never do, but you know, you, you can't be taking possession of whatever is inside of your self-directed IRA. We've, we've had people, a handful of investor clients that we've worked with and we've helped that have come to us after they've like, you know, they'll use a self-directed IRA to buy a stake in a, in a syndication. And then they'll later switch the syndication stake out of the self-directed IRA's name and into like a trust or something, not realizing that it's tripping all these rules and that it's a deemed distribution. So you have to make sure that you're being really, really careful when you're using self-directed IRAs. But like Tom was saying at the beginning, self-directed IRAs are a way to use retirement funds in a different manner than would be what I would consider a traditional uh, investment portfolio. So traditionally, you're going to invest in your equities and bonds with a self-directed IRA or a solo 401k, uh, you can self-direct the investments and you can invest in real assets. You can invest in alternative assets. You can even invest in businesses if you wanted to, but you'd have to be, you'd have to watch out for UBIT rules. So you can make these alternative investments and it ends up being really beneficial for investors that are doing it. Right. Right. And you know, when it comes to self-directed IRAs, there's some things I just want to point out, right? You got to look at everything from a bigger perspective, right? If you're not a real estate purist and you do have other assets, right? If you do have stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, things of that nature, you got to understand that in taxable brokerage accounts, the income, the, the capital gains from those assets are very difficult to shelter, right? You can't really shelter them from tax without having capital losses. And usually that means that you actually lost money, which is usually not a good thing. However, you could put those in an IRA, right? And they will grow tax-free. You could trade them, you could sell them, you could buy them, you can just let them sit there and they're going to grow tax-free for you. You can't do that again in a brokerage account. Whereas with real estate, real estate outside of an IRA is already tax-advantaged, right? You already have the ability to use depreciation and accelerated depreciation, including bonus depreciation, to uh, generate losses that can 
offset the rental income that you're creating. So you're not paying tax on the rental income. And then there's all these different types of strategies that you can use to minimize, defer, and in some cases, even eliminate the gain on sale of the asset of real estate outside of the self-directed IRA. So it's already a tax advantage vehicle. Real estate's already a tax advantage vehicle. So if you want to look at it like this, the point I'm trying to make here is you might be better off leaving your securities allocation. And this is not financial advice. Okay. This is purely from a tax perspective, leaving your securities allocation in your retirement accounts because they are tax advantage within the retirement accounts. And then investing in real estate outside of your retirement accounts because real estate is tax advantage outside of retirement accounts. Right. Because a lot of people get into, they'll put money into a self-directed IRA and then they will invest in rental real estate with that self-directed IRA. But the problem is, is, is real estate through the nature of depreciation, it, like Tom said, is already tax advantageous. So when you invest via a tax deferred vehicle into an asset class that effectively defers taxes, you almost like negate, you don't really get like a double benefit. You kind of almost negate the benefit. You don't really negate the benefit, but you're not like getting anything extra. So what our clients, what we typically recommend our clients do, and again, this is not financial advice. I guess I'm only a CPA though. I'm not a CFP, so I don't have to, <laughs> can I just give financial advice yeah. left and right? <laughs> well, yeah, I you know accountants are part of the group of people who are able to give incidental financial advice, incidental financial it's, advice, it's incidental it. to the business. So if you're talking yeah. about taxes, yeah. for example, and you're saying go invest in yeah. you know, the 401k in the 401k, because it's more tax advantageous, that's incidental. Tom got a CFP recently. Uh, it was just a certified financial planner. So we're going to spin up a wealth management practice probably a little bit later this year. If you're interested, email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com because we're trying to figure out if it's worth it. But basically the whole premise, you, you tell them what the premise would be, Tom. Sorry, this is a little, a little unplanned ad for everybody, but yeah. Tom got his CFP and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, what I did recognize in the marketplace is that there's not that many financial planners that are focused on real estate investors. And what I mean by real estate investors is investors who have a majority of their assets in real estate, or at least a significant portion of their assets in real estate. A lot of financial planners really only focus on stocks, bonds, and traditional assets, things you'll find on the publicly traded markets. It's traditionally where they focus on. And uh, because of that, a lot of real estate investors get turned off from that because they don't want to go to someone who's going to advise them to put all their money into the stock market or tell them don't invest in real estate because A, financial planners don't always make money if you don't invest through the financial assets, through the markets and B, because they don't really know about real estate. So really what, what we're hoping to bring to the table here is we already have the real estate expertise. We already understand real estate investors and what they need. And we want to be able to design financial planning services for real estate investors with real estate investors in mind, knowing that the clients that we would serve are going to have a significant amount, if not a majority of their assets, their investable assets in real estate. So that is kind of the premise. And having said that, the one thing I'll say on this is too, is I'm not a real estate purist. I don't believe in having a hundred percent in real estate. Some people do, and that's all well and good, but for reasons I'll go into at another time, I do believe that everybody should have some diversification and that you should have some money in the stock market and other traditional assets, just not all of it, right? You should have a portion and that's going to help basically ensure yourself against yourself, right? This is the long story short of it, right? Usually with real estate comes control. You have responsibility. You make decisions, right? You might have a property manager, but you're the ultimate decision maker. What happens if you get hit by a bus? What happens if you're incapacitated for an extended period of time? What happens if you just make a series of bad decisions and you go under, right? 
Well, by having a portion of your assets in stocks, bonds, and other traditional assets, you're hedging against yourself. It's basically you're ensuring yourself that you'll still be all right at the end of the day, because you're going to have a portion of your money in traditional assets, which are managed by CEOs of various companies and very large organizations. You know, like name, I'm not saying this is, I'm just giving examples of companies, Apple and these conglomerates that are out there, they're going to run whether you're you're good or not. Right. Um, so that's, that's why I think you should have some allocation towards uh, stocks. And that's something that's going to be part of the ultimate investment philosophy when we roll it out, but we'll have more information on that later on. I don't want to say too much because it's still in the very early phases. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, if you're interested, send us an email at contact at the real estate CPA.com and, and let us know what you'd like to see in right. a financial planner that services real estate investors. I mean, we we're going to create this for you. So if you're truly interested and you would like to work with us on that front. We don't have anything literally right now, but it is in the works. And we'd love to hear from you, you know, what, what's missing from the financial space. But anyway, back to self-directed RAs. So again, not financial advice. I guess I have to say that now on this podcast, you're, you're bringing me down, dude. Uh, but anyway, I, more, more disclosures. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so this is not financial advice, but no, you're not bringing me down. You're bringing me up. Um, your self-directed IRAs, where we see most of our clients optimize this, at least from a tax perspective, is acquiring debt in the self-directed IRA. Now, what does that mean? That means that I'm going to have, I have $100,000 in the self-directed IRA and I'm going to lend it. I'm going to, you know, either lend it on a short-term basis or a long-term basis. I'm going to do it hard money. If you do it hard money, you got to watch out because you could be in the trader business of lending money and they'd be subject to UBIT rules. So you just have to be careful. But lending money is a great way to invest self-directed IRA funds from a tax perspective. There are also debt funds out there that you can invest in who lend all these, just have thousands of notes and they're always raising capital and you can invest with your self-directed IRA. The beautiful thing about this, the reason why this is so awesome is I'm a believer, kind of like what Tom said, I'm not a real estate purist either. I'm a believer that at a certain point in life, especially as you are getting older, you should be moving your assets more into a debt position is less risky, especially when it's real estate debt, because you're, you're getting paid monthly, you're getting interest on it, you get points on it. And if the payer stops paying, you have a backup plan, which is foreclosing on the property, rehabbing it and flipping it or renting it, right? So you can actually underwrite the properties as if you were going to acquire them yourself, but then just finance it instead and let somebody else actually acquire it. And then worst case, you step into their shoes. I know it's not that simple. If anybody's listening to this, and you're like, that's not that simple. I, I lend and it's not that easy. I know, I get it. But ideally it's, it's less risky in the grand scheme of things. So I think that people should have Debt, fixed income. It's great. The problem is, is interest income is really hard, if not impossible to shelter if it's not in a retirement account. So if you are just, you know, lending a hundred thousand dollars that you have sitting around in your bank account, that interest income that's coming back, you can't shelter that from taxes unless you have enough loans going on that you are in the business of lending. And then you can do some things. You at least can deduct business expenses and do some other things. But the point is, is that if you want to gain debt exposure and you do it outside of a retirement account, you're going to get crushed with taxes on that interest income. You might as well lend through a retirement account, get the tax benefits of that tax deferral of the interest income. And then like Tom said, invest in your own name or outside of a retirement account 
in real estate, in actual rental real estate, because that depreciation is going to shelter the cash flow. You can manipulate depreciation through cost tech studies and accelerated depreciation to really eliminate cash flows. So you can do all of that outside of the self-directed IRA. You can gain all these tax deferment benefits outside of a self-directed IRA when you are a landlord, when you own rental real estate. Right. But if you want to be on the lending side, you do that through the self-directed IRA to gain the tax deferral. That's what a lot of our clients do. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. Yeah, it's something that, that I actually slipped my mind. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line is, is the real estate's a tax shelter already in and of itself. And then when you put it, invest it into a self-directed IRA, you, when you do, most people are going to finance it with debt. At some point, you're very likely going to be exposed to UDFI and UBIT, and you're going to have to file a Form 990T. And yep. filing a Form 990T is, is tough, okay? It's a pain to do yourself if you're a DIYer, and if you're going to try to find an accounting firm to do it, it's usually pretty expensive. And that's if you could find people who actually do it. So yeah. the point is, so you're digging into your returns by having UBIT, right? Slightly, slightly. There's been studies out there where it's usually not that much, but it's still digging into your returns. Then you have the IRA custodian fees, usually more expensive than your quote unquote traditional IRA, the one with securities. And then you're also going to have this extra tax return that you're going to have to file, which is going to also cost money or time and on your end. And it's going to eat into your returns as well. So just some things to think about. Now, one thing I do want to say, I do believe that self-directed IRAs can make sense for investing in real estate if you have a majority or the vast majority of your investable assets in retirement accounts and you are looking to diversify. I, in most cases, would prefer from a tax perspective, see somebody self-direct an IRA to get real estate exposure than to liquidate an IRA or a 401k and be subject to income taxes as well as penalties. That can eat easily up to 40%, 40 to 50% of your account, depending on what tax bracket you're in. So that's when I do think it makes sense. That's what I'm very comfortable saying. I think that's if you want exposure to real estate and you have all your money really in, in IRAs and retirement accounts, then go for it. But uh, if you do have investable funds outside of your IRA, you do want to explore that option first. And if you want more information on UBTI and UDFI, you can check out episode 79 and episode 105 of the TaxSmart REI podcast. Those are episodes that we recorded a while ago. What episode is this? That we're recording? Yeah, this is going to be episode 175. We're, 175? We're, we're, I think we're at over 200 right now episodes, but we have the rep series. We have the short-term rental series. We have the crypto series. I think we have a few other things that weren't numbered. So the numbered episodes, I think we're we're a little bit over 200 right now. We're almost at like four years of, uh, of recording this podcast. Pretty incredible. We officially crossed 100,000 downloads, monthly downloads. It's amazing. So hats off to Tom. Tom. I could not honestly do this without Tom. When I started this podcast way back in 2016, 17, I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast as a guest. It was so funny, man. I prepped for that for like a solid week and a half. I like asked him what questions you're going to ask me. And I had this whole like script laid out. I was so nervous. And, uh, and now it's so funny because like Tom and I this morning this afternoon, I was like, Hey, you ready in 10 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And then we get on, we're like, what are we talking about? Self-talk area is cool. Go. There's no prep. You just yeah. kind of start rattling it off. And, uh, but that's how we run every single one of our episodes. And, and it's how we've run our episodes for like two years. I know people say like, Oh my gosh, you have great content, but we're just taking all the content that we've already produced and kind of adding stories to it and, and adding more context. But all it is, is repetitions. I tell everybody like, go, if you're going to go launch a podcast, you're going to do something different. You're always going to be super nervous at first speaking events, presentations, you always be super nervous at first, but it's just repetitions. You know, if you do it a hundred times, 
the hundred and first time you do it, it's going to be so easy for you. Yeah. A hundred percent. Consistency is key in the content game for anybody out there who is, is in the content game. Um, and I'm relearning that with my Twitter account, by the way, I'm, I have a Twitter account now and be tweeting on uh, tax and wealth building strategies for real estate investors at Thomas Castelli underscore. So go ahead and follow me on Twitter. I will be having uh, daily posts out probably by June, if not sooner. So if you're interested in that type of thing, go check that. I believe Brandon might have a Twitter too. I have a Twitter. It's at B Hall CPA. My tweets are focused on other CPA firms. So you, you're more than welcome to follow me. If you want business advice, I talk about like leadership and marketing and optimizing for growth. So I'd love to have you too, but that's at B Hall CPA. But yeah, I couldn't do this without Tom. We hit a hundred thousand downloads, I believe last month. And it was just amazing. So when I started the podcast back in 2016, 17, I just, I was coming off the bigger pockets podcast. I was like, I need a podcast. And I was recording an episode once every random, you know, blue moon. And Tom came in and was like, we have to do it consistently, even holidays and uh, held my uh, butt to the fire. So thank you, sir. And congratulations on a hundred thousand episodes. Thank you. Thank you. The only two times we missed episodes so far was two Christmases and that's intentional. We'll be missing one around that Christmas holiday break every year. Give everybody a break, spend some more time with the family. So you can expect one to be missed that week, but it's intentional. It's done intentionally. But other than that, we've not missed one. So that's about it for today's episode of Tax Smart IRA Podcast. If you do want to join in on the conversation, go ahead and join our free Facebook group. It's the Tax Smart Investor Facebook group on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash group slash Tax Smart Investors. Uh, you go check that out and uh, join in on the conversation. And who knows, we might just answer your question on the next episode of the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor Podcast. Until then, happy investing. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.